Our reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 21, and it's out of the New Living Translation. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell something? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where they want it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Imago. I'll admit that um, it's nice to see this place full one last time before I leave, to see all your faces and the pews full, um, well, half your faces. Uh, we're going to have a discussion time later in the message this morning, so kind of hold your, some of your thoughts and whatnot about this morning's passage, and we'll engage in maybe a more applicable way later. Um, as, as I thought about my last message and, and what was on my heart to, to share before we part ways in this way and, and simply say bye for now. If you, if you know anything about me, um, I never say goodbye. I, whenever we walk away or we leave, I say goodbye for now uh, because it always is just for now. And even if I don't see you again on this earth, which is impossible because of Facebook, then um, I'll always see you in the next, whatever the next is and looks like as we live into that mystery and imagination. And so it's always just goodbye for now and the beauty of it. Um, as I've reflected on my time here, um, I, I kind of went back a little bit to the journey that brought me here, uh, thinking about it a little bit. Um, I identify as a spiritual refugee uh, because the faith traditions that I grew up in got to the point when they just weren't safe for me anymore to express my faith in. In many ways, that was because of my sexuality and then eventually because of my changes in theology and ideas about women in ministry and ideas about when people being given full inclusion even after divorce. Woo. And so for all those reasons, like the places that I was serving and worshiping weren't safe anymore. And I took a journey to find places that were. And I found those in mainline Christian traditions like Methodist churches in the United Church of Christ. However, the first time I walked into those churches, I felt like I was in a different religion because I didn't understand what they were doing. I hadn't sung hymns growing up, so that was a new concept to me. I didn't know the songs. I didn't know what written liturgy was where people would read things aloud. This whole Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers thing, I'm like, what is that? I was used to like popcorn prayer and people just like praying, you know, spontaneously, uh, nothing sort of repeated back and forth in that way. All these things were brand new to me. When I would preach, people would say to me afterwards, um, you're not Methodist, are you? You're not United Church of Christ, are you? And I would say, no, no, I'm not. I didn't grow up in that tradition. And I'd say, why would you say that? What makes you think that? And they'd say, well, you said the Holy Spirit a few too many times. Actually, you said the Holy Spirit at all. 
Um, what did you do? Why did you say that? Who is that even? Uh, so there are people who would say stuff like that. People would say, you talked really fast and quick and you were excited. Like, what's, what's that? You were, seemed like you were energetic. Your sermon was longer than 12 minutes. Uh, they, they would say things in comments like that that I was like, oh, okay. And I tell you what, when, when comments like that would be made, I would often feel like I didn't fit, like I didn't belong in this place that was accepting a p- part of me that was not accepted in other places. In other places, being LGBTQ uh, was not safe and it was hard. But in these places, it was acceptable, and they were loving me and embracing me and accepted of that, and in many cases, even had rainbow flags and plenty of sermon illustrations that identify with people who are both queer as well as people who are straight. But in this one part of like how I worshipped, it was almost like I was being said, you need to assimilate in order to be accepted here into how we do church. And that was really hard, because I felt like, again, a refugee who was told, you're welcome to come to this new safe land, but you need to talk like us, you need to dress like us, you need to act like us, You need to speak like us if you're going to fit in here. But there were a few pastors that I met in the UCC and the UMC along my way that said to me, Josh, don't listen to those people who say that to you. When you come to church here, if you want to wear shorts, wear shorts. If you don't want to read the liturgy out loud and you want to just read it on the screen because you're not sure what you're, if you believe what you're reading yet, just do that. If you're not comfortable reading written prayers and want to pray extemporaneously, go right ahead and do it. When we have Bible studies and we talk about authors from our mainline traditions that you don't know or recognize, that's okay. Tell us about the authors you've read that have been meaningful to you. These pastors made space for me in a way that was um, tangible, that said you don't have to assimilate to be acceptable. Bring what you have from your traditions, and that'll make us richer. And when I fought Imago and I saw that it was an interdenominational church, um, there was something in me that leaped. Because I had learned so much in the United Church of Christ and in the United Methodist Church. But I had also had so many things from my other faith traditions that in certain ways weren't safe for me anymore. And when I was able to come here, I was able to bring a conglomerate of all those things. No one ever asked what tradition I was from or if I fit in that way. The beauty was that there were people that always brought different traditions and ideas. And this church historically has always been open to experimenting and trying new things and testing out different traditions and changing things up. And I loved that because I learned even more about other faith traditions and other beliefs and other practices. And I learned what it, was, what it looked like to be a part of a community that didn't always expect uniformity in order to have unity. It was a tangible place for me to be. And it has been and continues to be, and it will always hold an extremely special place in my heart. Because this wasn't just a place that I could be accepted for my sexuality. This was a place that I could be accepted for all the different traditions that I had been part of as a Baskin-Robbins Christianity. And all of those flavors were good. And sometimes some things we do, people are like, that's weird, why do we do that? I don't want to do that. But at the end of the day, we're always open to understanding and exploring why we do certain things and realizing that there's beauty in all the different traditions that come from our faith. This place has been that for me. Today in our passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter to the, uh, the, the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is really trying to figure out what Christianity is going to look like because they have people from two very different faith traditions coming together. You have folks within the Jewish faith and folks who are Gentile pagans who are coming together and they're trying to form this newfound Christianity by following Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, these cultures, these faith expressions, these worlds couldn't be any more different. And they're coming and trying to merge together and make this new faith. And it's kind of messy. And so Paul writes them this letter and he's like, listen, 
You two are very different. You have different ideas and expectations and hopes for each other. You have different visions for how you think this church or this religion should look. But I need you to come together. I need you, in order to form a community, I need you to find your common unity. You could make a list of all the things you have different, but I need you to find the places where you're common. Paul writes to them, and they they have problems over ideas of what marriages should look like. They have problems over sexual ethics and what's acceptable. They have uh, issues over the privileged and the powerful treating the poor poorly. uh, They have issues with the rich suing other people in the church and using their sort of privilege and power to hoard over them instead of being people who work towards reconciliation. Uh, but more than that, they have problems with, the food, with food. They're having meals, and Jews are coming over to pagans' homes, and pagans have cooked food that's sacrificed to idols, and Jews are like, yeah, our people don't eat that. What, why would you make that for us? It'd basically you know, be very similar to modern day if we invited a Jewish friend over and we made pig of some sort. They're like, why, why would you offer that to us? We, we don't eat that food. And so they're having a tension about, well, maybe we can't even share a meal together because we clearly can't even agree on the menu. Then the big issue in the crux of Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians, as we heard read in the passage today, is this issue of speaking in tongues. It's a serious issue. For the pagans, they're excited about it. This seems really, really spiritual and eclectic. But for the Jewish community, they're looking at this and they're a little weirded out by the fact that this is happening a lot and it feels a little like pagan occultic to them and so they're uncomfortable with it and they don't like it. And they don't understand why people are so obsessed with it and why it's seeming to take over their services so much. And they kind of want them to rein it in, figure it out. And so Paul writes them about that. But more than that, there seems to be this like hierarchy that's happening where Paul seems to be writing to this idea that people who who were speaking in tongues in the early church, people were like, oh, I'm more spiritual than you because I have this gift and you don't have this gift. Or I do this gift more than you do this gift. And so I'm more spiritual and I'm better and I'm closer to the divine because of it. And there's this sort of supremacy of gifts that are beginning to, to sort of play out in the early church and it's creating what? More tension. But to add even more insult to injury, on top of all of this, there's already been great tension within the Jewish and pagan community. Why? Because those in the Jewish community have told the pagans, listen, you're really not, and the Gentiles, you're really not a Christian unless you get circumcised. And they're like, well, if that's the criteria, I'm bouncing out. Like, that's not happening here. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, you honestly, that, that's something that, that's important to our faith. You need to do that, and you need to follow our food laws if you're going to be a Christian. You see, they have these sort of differing expectations and ideas about what is acceptable, what is going to make this new found faith, these two different faiths coming together, which in many ways is what Imago is. It is a conglomerate of people who've come from all different Christian faith traditions. And they're in this great tango of calling each other to a place of unity without the expectation of uniformity. And so Paul pens this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of you are Jews, some of you are Gentiles, some of you are slaves, and some of you are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. What Paul is doing here is something really beautiful, and I I hope you're catching it. Paul is, is saying, listen, here are all the problems and differences that you have, but let's just take a step back and let's think about the thing you have in common. Some of you think you're more spiritual and you have more of the Holy Spirit than the other. Some of you think your beliefs and your practices are better than the other. But let me remind you of this. You all have the same amount of the Holy Spirit and you all have the Spirit. 
Basically, Paul's telling them, you are all made of dust and you all have the same spirit. When it all comes down to it, do not make yourself think that you are better than the other. Do not make yourself think that you have some, some, some level of spirituality or primacy over the other. Instead, he is calling them to find what their common unity is in community. See what I did there? That's from my evangelical days where we found fun play, plays on words. Okay? Find that, whatever you've got to find, the common unity in your community. So what is that? And Paul's calling them to that. So like in this worship expression, in this church, that, that can look a lot of different ways. For some, you may have exuberant expressions in worship. You may raise your hands or sway back and forth. Others of you may prefer to just sit and take it all in and read the words on the screen and wonder what they mean to you. Some of you may reuse a manuscript to preach, and some on the, on the coming um, teaching team, they may just speak out of the abundance of their heart and glean off of their notes. But guess what? There's beauty in all the different styles of preaching. Some of you, you may have written prayers. Some of you may pray extemporaneously. I still can't even say that word well. Some of you will read liturgy aloud, while others of you will prefer to just sit back and listen to the community of faith reading it. Some of you will pray believing that you can change God's heart, and others of you will pray believing that the prayer is to change your heart. Some of you will watch online this morning. Hello. And some of you will worship in person. Some of you will be in a season of your life where you feel like you have so much to pour out, and others of you will feel like you are just empty and you just need someone to pour into you. Others of you will be in a season of your life where you trust the church with great abundance, and others of you will be, I'm not sure, I'm going to stand on the edge and watch for a while before I come any closer. Some of you, as you listen to sermons, might call and respond back to the preacher. You may laugh, you may say amen, while others of you may sit quiet or nudging a partner saying, are you listening to this? Christianity has become a distinct faith separate from Judaism because its, its own scriptures and early Christians, they had to embrace this new kin and, 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 and commit to generously caring for another despite the differences. Not despite the differences, actually, but because of them. Not, I love you, eh, even though you're like this, but I love you because you're different. I love you because you have different expressions of faith. And I'm going to tell you, that has been my favorite thing about this church is all of the different traditions and expressions of faith and theological ideas and opinions that have come together to form this community, that common unity united around our love for Christ, our being filled with the Spirit, made all in the Imago Dei, the image of God. None of us better or greater or more spiritual than the other. I could think of many examples, and I want you to think as well of some examples of times when you personally have felt... um, seen and loved and included in this community despite your differences. I asked someone in the church this week if I could uh, share anonymously something that they shared with me once they heard my announcement of my transition. I won't read to you the letter, but I'll uh, just articulate it back to you. I got a message from someone in the church that said, you know, when you were first hired and I found out you were gay, I told my wife that I did not want her to go to that church anymore because I didn't want my kids to grow up in a church with a gay pastor because it's wrong. He said, but within the first few weeks of you being at Imago, you did these things called suppers for six, uh, or I, was, I think it was known be known dinners actually at that time, and to get to know the pastor and had many different people in my home, several dinners. And this person and their spouse came to one of the dinners. 
He said, after that dinner, I'll read the quote. He said, when I got the opportunity to come to your home for dinner and I left, my my whole outlook changed. And that person and I have been able to have that connection. And I never knew that about them, actually. I never knew that they hold the, held those opinions or ideas until I got that message. They were wrestling. They were trying to figure out what they thought, what they believed, what this meant. This was new to them. This was different than the faith traditions they had grown up had taught them. But they never even let me onto that. They loved me well. And I loved them well, even if I had known that. Even if I had known that. And when I think about this church's commitment to LGBTQ people, I'm grateful for it. I know there's been a lot of questions uh, during this transition around, you know, is the church LGBTQ affirming? Are they going to continue committed to that to the future? Is that why you're transitioning? And I just want to make it abundantly clear to folks watching at home, folks here, and whoever may have questions in the future, that I am in no way leaving because of LGBTQ inclusion. I am here because of it, and I have loved this place deeply because of the way in which it has met me in that place. But I've also loved it more than just because you've embraced me for my queerness. I've loved you because you've embraced me for my refugee status, for the fact that I brought so many different faith traditions and beliefs and ideas to this space. And you know what? Sometimes I was messy with it. One of the biggest things that I learned probably within my first year and a half of coming to Imago was that I needed to be more generous with my orthodoxy. We talk about having a generous orthodoxy, being generous in our beliefs towards other people. And one of the things I really learned the hard way through hurting and offending some people with how I presented my beliefs was that sometimes when we share our beliefs, we don't have to do it on the defense. We can do it on the offense, meaning we don't have to share all the things we don't believe in order to share the thing we do believe. We can just share the thing we do believe. Because when we go on a long list of, well, I don't believe this and I don't believe this and I don't believe this, sometimes there's some people in the room who do believe that and they feel dismissed and hurt in the process. Instead, let us just be on the offense. God, and community of faith, this is what I believe. I learned that here. I didn't bring that here. I learned that here the hard way, through mistakes, through things I've said in this pulpit. And I am grateful for that in this community because you have taught me how to be more generous and more just and more caring and more loving in the way in which we present our beliefs and our ideas. There is not... It's not always possible to have unity in all things. It's just not always possible, right? Sometimes there are differences. But Paul reminds us in another letter, he says, do it all you can to live at peace with one another. And I'll tell you, where we've come this far as a church, in so many ways, this is the leadership in I, we have been united. My decision to leave is coming at the point of, I think as we look towards the future, there are differences. But where we have come thus far, In so many ways, we have been united. And in so many ways, my transition is so much more nuanced and challenging and difficult than any of us would ever like to try to make sense of and try to understand. But I personally, as someone who has loved this community and have been loved by this community, want to remind you today that I believe this church, the leadership of this church, is committed to LGBTQ inclusion. Can every church and any church do it better? Absolutely. Every church and every person needs to do better in the work of anti-racism and misogyny and LGBTQ inclusion because we live in a world where there is a dominant thread of privilege and narrative. But has this church taken great strides? Absolutely. And will this church continue to take great strides in the future? I have no doubt. Because I have no doubts in you as a community.
that you will rally around your common unity. You will continue to live into your desire to not expect uniformity in order to have unity. I believe that with my whole heart. So let me ask you this question uh, and open up some space. What are some ways in this community that you have felt um, loved or seen or held or understood or a difference that you had? You felt like somebody made space for you. Um, You don't have to necessarily share names or anything because we don't want to break anybody's privileges or or confidences, but I'd be curious to hear what are the ways that you have seen this community live into unity without uniformity? Yeah, Caitlin said that... uh, the, the, the church has driven out to their home, which is about a half hour away, uh, in order to bring things to their kids, during the, their son, Oak, during the pandemic, um, and even though they only have him every other week. Yeah. What else? Meg highlights that when she first came here, there was this sense of she didn't pray out loud like that. It was more written, and there was space for that, but also space for her to be able to where she was in her in her in her faith, even if it was deconstructed and choosing not to reconstruct something else. Boyd has Alzheimer's, and um, to have come here and to have people speak to him and make him be, feel feel like he's a part of the community and he to feel seen has has meant a lot to him and Sarah. Sarah says that Amago and the Hotma sisters um, hosted a meal for her and her family after she lost her brother. Maggie highlights that hearing like folks like Pastor Melinda and Pastor Heather, you can wait for everybody. Um, she's here in the house tonight, uh, this morning. Uh, having them talk about how difficult it is to parent and the challenges with that, as well as just like living with anxiety and depression and those challenges that come, um, just made her feel like she had space here and she could be her full self. Um, didn't have to conform to be able to be acceptable here. Yeah, Ken highlights that you know when we when we talked about Hebrew texts. We would invite Rabbi Milkow down the street to come and share with us how, did you, how does the Jewish community interpret this text to be able to shine light on it. And make sure we're, being, we're honoring that historical narrative of, of how that's interpreted, not just projecting our Christian interpretations onto it. Um, so that, was, that is a great example of that desire for, for common unity. Kelly highlights that um, she, it was always an invitation, would you like to be involved in this instead of would you do this uh, kind of mindset and th- that sensitivity to... Um, her gifts and her abilities and her uh, space in her life to be able to, to participate in those things. And she's enjoyed being able to be involved in this way. And I've loved you being involved. You've been amazingly running that community garden. Amazingly. I, don't, I think that's a word. Thanks, Gina. Uh, Gina highlights that she really said it's probably hard to run a church during a pandemic. And it has been. Um, and she just said it's been really beautiful to see uh, us taking pictures with people in the community and, and in, our, in our faith community here and people joining and babysitting and just being active and trying to be a part of people's lives as much as we can amidst this pandemic. Thank you, Pastor Heather. Uh, I'm going to try to rephrase that in my own words. You, your words first are, are, you were not made to fit, but you were given space to belong. And in so many ways, your gifts were fanned into flame here, and you are going to soar and set Pekin on fire. In a good way, not not a bad fire. <laughs> a refining fire. Yes. Yes. Yes, Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Rose highlights that space was created for her to be able to write about fat phobia and that to be shared on the blog and for 
her to have a voice and space to share her theological and, and, and really philosophical views about, about that. And space was created and accepted for her to be open to do that. It's so important. Yeah. Todd's highlighting that um, when he came back to faith, he was wanting to be baptized again in the tradition he went to. It was like, we don't rebaptize. Um, but the beautiful thing about Imago is we have people from all different faith traditions. So some who may, whatever you feel is in tune with your tradition is what we embrace. So for some, that's water baptism, full immersion, sprinkles, infant baptism, adult baptism, rebaptism. It's your faith. Um, and we're here to partner and support you in that. I'm glad I was able to baptize you. <laughs> That is so monumental. Meg, uh, Megan highlights that this is the first church she saw a woman preach in, and it reminded her and told her and assured her that she could do the same and she could do big things as a woman in ministry. Yeah. Jason? I want that T-shirt, middle class, white, cis male. But I, I'd probably wear it backwards. Go on. <clears throat> yeah. Jason highlights that in a lot of the churches he's been a part of, the predominantly presence is sort of the white uh, cis males. And in this church, it's just, there's a, a more diverse variety of voices that are given space. And so sometimes he finds it's best to just sit down and be quiet and to listen to all the diversity of voices that are here. It's a hard thing to do, privileged-wise, but beautiful thing to do, and we all benefit from it. Yeah, Emily highlights that her daughter and her wife um, came here to worship and that would not have happened in most churches and that our foster care and adoptive ministry in many ways propelled them to, to make that move for themselves and gave them the support to do it. Jay, highlight, Jay highlights that basically uh, the, the, our ministry to those who are experiencing homelessness and the way in which that um, is, is our, our heart and motivation behind it maybe is different than how so there's been some experiences in the past that are like we're doing this nice thing for you but instead, there's this, there's this sort of this mutuality of we're doing this together, right? And when we had meals here, people would sit down with folks and have a meal and talk and build that relationship. And now with, you know, Breakfast Club 2.0 going out to the, to the streets in many ways to continue to, to build and foster that relationship and meet them where they're at and not just, well, this is what we offer and if you want it, then no. And, but instead asking, what do you need and how can we partner? But also realizing that every time we serve, it, it's, it's not just for them, it's, it's for us. And they have something to offer us as well as a gift and back and a partnership. There are probably so many things that we, we could talk about and we could highlight as a community. And I'm glad you have today because this community is unique and it's unique in this area. When you searched for this church, many of you, I know I've heard these stories over and over again, you didn't type in Pastor Josh's church or Josh Lee's church or Charlie Dean's church. You typed in things like open-minded church, affirming church, aggressive church, accepting church, cool church maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Those are all things I've heard you say to people, not cool church, that's weird. Um, but when you type that in, those are what you, that's what you typed. And so no matter who's up front, whether that's Pastor Melinda or myself or the preaching team or Dustin or Christina or Charlie or myself, who, whoever has come, what's beautiful about this church is that you didn't know any of those people before you came here when you came looking for it. And what's true about this church will always be true about this church, no matter who's the pastors of it. Because the church is the stories you've shared today. Those things you've said will continue on as long as you continue to love one another and live into those values. As long as you continue to be a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. As long as you continue to be generous in your orthodoxy and don't expect uniformity in order for unity with one another. And so my heart for you is that. 
when we watch the news the last couple of weeks, we've seen, seen uh, refugees like Afghans seeking uh, status safe somewhere else, and now Haitian uh, refugees coming to our borders. And as I've seen those come across the screens the last few weeks, I can't help but stop and remember uh, that there is something that exists in this country as a, as a symbol and a sign of a new beginning, of safe refuge, and it is the Statue of Liberty. It was given to us by a French abolitionist who, who wanted to gift it to the United States as a reminder uh, after the end of slavery and uh, the Civil War that this was a land that was welcomed and loved for those who often found themselves on the margins and in unsafe places. And at the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, this poem was penned by Emma Lazarus. Let these words sink in as I invite the worship team to come. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lighting and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her, her mild eyes combine the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your stored pomp, cries she. With silent lifts, she cries. Hear this, Imago, this morning. Give me your tired. Give me your poor. Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Amago, I pray as we part ways in this way that you would be a safe place for refugees who come longing for a place to call home. My prayer for you is that you would continue to be the same place you've been for me, a place where spiritual refugees can come they can come whether you're watching from home or whether you're here in person today gathering that, they, that this would continue to be an intentional place for refugees from faith traditions that no longer welcome them or can cultivate life in them come and find a new expression of the Christian faith. One that welcomes refugees looking for a community that will celebrate what they bring to enhance this body of Christ here. Not expecting people to assimilate to be acceptable. Always willing to lean into hard conversations and the many different expressions of this faith that we call Christianity, and realizing that it stretches far and wide beyond just this group. It stretches back to the Corinthian church, working amongst differences to find common unity. So, Mago, may you be like a beacon of light in this proclaiming melting pot. Give us those who are tired of religion, tired by regimented gates, Send us those who've drawn the lines in the sand and those who stand on both sides of it, that we may stand hand in hand. Give us your poor in spirit who long to find a community of faith where they can be their full selves. Holy Spirit, bring us your huddled masses yearning to breathe free from this oppressive structures in our society that sometimes the church has even been explicit in upholding. May we ask God to forgive us and mend those places. Send us, at Imago, those experiencing homelessness, those on the margins and those who draw them, those who are sex workers and night shift street sweepers. Imago, may you lift your lamps to the doors of this church or turn up the light on the screen of your computer or your phone. And may you shine bright in this town. May this, town, may this church be known in Peoria as a place that is a just and generous expression of the Christian faith.
May you continue to be who you've always been. May you love this community and may you love one another well that when people look at you, they know you are the body of Christ made in the image of God, loving everyone else because they too are made in the image for God. Bye for now, my sweet community. May you continue to run the race well and fan into flame what many others have begun and you will carry on. Love well, love God, and love others. Goodbye for now.